You're listening to Law and Justice. I'm Jane Mulcahy. It's Tuesday, the 27th of February 2018. Next up, we have a segment with Susie Byrne, a fascinating disability activist. I met her in the Weston in Dublin recently in the atrium, and we had a great chat. I'm here with disability activist Susie Byrne. Susie, thanks so much for meeting me. We're in the the atrium in Dublin, so if there's a funny echo on the recording, that's why. It's a fine high ceiling. Susie, can you tell me a bit about yourself? Well, I am involved in community development and rights-based work probably for the last 25, 27 years. I was involved in LGBT work. Okay. Um, Nationally, I was involved in the campaign for decriminalisation, okay. homosexuality, um, the campaign to bring in equal status legislation, and as a disabled lesbian woman, I ticked lots of boxes. Yeah, intersectionality, as they say. Yeah. And that's before we even had that yeah, term, yeah. right? It was back in '95, so that was the the whole campaign to bring in legislation. So I worked across the LGBT. Uh, women's disability, other groups bringing them together to look at what was best in the development of that legislation. So we had a government at the time that wanted to bring it in. We did Minister for Equality right. only, yeah. which was wonderful. Those were the days where there was a big focus yeah. on it and not just tagged on as True. an extra somewhere else. And we were in the development of the, you know, well, the Equality Authority was around at that time as well. Um, so I, I have the experience in working in, in those areas and then um, working in the area of disability and disability advocacy and then volunteering on various boards and committees and things and then writing. Yeah, um, you have a great it's, blog. Well, it's, in, it's still up there. I'm not, it's not current, but I blogged my way through the recession yeah. um, about politics, about um, disadvantage and disability and then uh, would have taught politicians how to blog, how to oh, tweet, really? and other people, and NGOs, and, yeah. and just, you know, given my useless advice, really. I mean, I'm no communications expert, it's just what I've read and saw. Yeah, yeah. And As being effective, that. right, okay. Yeah, and would have, the whole concept, which now seems quite dated, but of live tweeting events, Yeah, we would have started all of that. Is that right, okay. Tweeting on the telly. Okay. You know, when you'd be watching Vincent yeah. Brown, um, I had a whole thing, I would develop hashtags Okay. For the, you know, and for elections, I have developed systems yeah. of hashtags for every constituency in the country. So we would my ta- goodness. So tallies yeah. during for election counts. Yeah, I have an obsession with elections since I was twelve. Okay, okay? I'm forty-seven now, so you I don't have look at watched all of these elections. And when we have the development of social media, we're bringing the tally onto social media, yeah. and people tallying what they saw. Yeah. That then got picked up by mainstream media, so we're now redundant. Yeah, yeah. You know, but um, but that's pretty cool all the same. Just, yeah, yeah. And it's still live, and yeah, it still yeah. gets updated now. People still want it. Yeah. We Maman Poulet, is it? With the blog with yeah. Maman Poulet, and actually you'll find the hashtags on Maman Poulet. I, I, I leave them there yeah. and update them there uh, for elections and for referenda. Um, the agreed neutral hashtags for referenda I and a few others organise that okay so for I did not know that yeah, Susie wow and, and, and there's no committee yeah, no yeah, yeah, yeah. just, just get told so we do things I suppose it's just um, to make things easier for people and especially when it comes to referenda when there's always a yes and a no yeah, side yeah. and everything you know other people are developing their tags so we get try and get a neutral one yeah. so if people are doing searches 
that they can find things that they want and yes. whatever. So, and then I just sit back and I watch politics and comment on it, and yeah. generally. And um, and why did you get so interested in it at twelve? Were your parents really into no. it? No. Okay, in fact, right. They didn't want to be. You know, they couldn't be involved in politics for work reasons okay. and things. I just loved the news. Right. Okay. And watching the news and. And there were three elections in 18 months in yeah. 82, right. 81, 82, and I was fascinated. Yeah. I was off school for a while sick. Okay. And I think illness has an awful lot yeah. to do with my That's experience of politics as yeah. well. I would have, during the blog, would have been really active when I was off work for a long time with ill health. Okay. Um, because I had nothing else to do. Yeah, I suppose it gets just, you through the day. Yeah, something you just to focus sit there on. and you watch the news and you think about, you're listening. And you're thinking about how different things impact on mm. people and how we've had, had all these, these debates where how people were affected by cuts yeah. to budgets and things like that and how rights were restricted and they continue to be restricted even though we're not so yes. no longer in a recession, seemingly. Um, you know, so And how people's voices weren't being heard. And actually, I would have done guest blogging because the blog got popular and won awards and stuff and people were reading it mm. I gave the space over to other people Okay. Um, I worked with other people to develop say human rights campaigns like April Fool's Day a few years ago we had a thing called Not an April Fool's okay. so we got migrants groups and women's groups, uh-huh. lone parents and other groups to use the tag to broadcast stats about things right. and say this isn't a joke yeah you know, right okay so that's very clever things like that yeah, you know yeah. so um and I just think the power of using things like that, and for people with disabilities, what we've seen in social media is people communicating how their rights are restricted. So we look at the issue of public transport, which is probably the one that I can most point to. Yeah. Uh, people who don't get onto trains or buses because systems fail are telling other people about that and okay. using social media to do that yeah. through Facebook or Twitter. And um, they get they don't get good responses when they complain mm. to the officials. They complain to each other, and it actually is pointing out to people how they are discriminated against, yeah. and them wanting to do something about mm. it. So I was watching that develop as a communication amongst friends, and then people would pass me on other stuff, and people started to use because they didn't see their voices replicated mm. or you know in the media using social media to talk about how they were discriminated against mm. so I would support people in, in doing that and you know try and amplify those mm. voices I wasn't involved in any disability rights yeah. movement at the, because there wasn't one actually yes. and this is the other thing we had disability movements in Ireland um, in the 90s it started with the campaign to not have to be registered sane in order to get access to voting that was in 1990 uh, during the presidential election and Donald Tolan um, was involved with that he later went on to be a member of the council of state uh, with Mary Robinson but you know so we had the former people with disabilities developed around that time and that was a cross disability uh, peer led organisation it wound up um, in oh, the early 2000s we had a group called um, People with Disabilities Ireland which was set up as a result of the commission on the status of people with disabilities which was a government commission which reported in 19, the mid-90s 
that report is still relevant today as it was then because there's a lot of stuff that hasn't been implemented that's sure. in that report that still needs to be done. Classic. Uh, a lot of our laws emanated from that report. So we had the Disability Act 2005. We had the um, Education Special Educational Needs Act 2002. We have the Citizens Information Act 2007. A lot of that legislation, yes, it has been passed, but not never fully commenced. Okay. Um, and we had sort of social movements to some extent that were around during those times, but we also had huge amount of legacy disability organisations, which, um, although they might say, have said that they were started by disabled people or parents, friends and families of disabled people, have actually turned into service providers. Okay. So if we have a tradition in the Irish state of... Uh, farming out all our social care and all yeah. our educational and welfare provision to other bodies to carry out and yes it is funded by the state but um, that restricts people in the ability I suppose to comment, campaign and advocate for people if yes. you are providing services for them Well you're dependent on your and the money for your ongoing yeah. employment I yeah. guess yeah. yeah. and also if you have an alternative view to the organisation that is providing you with services, then you know you would, might be afraid to speak out. Yeah. If you're not happy with the service you receive, I mean, many of the disabled people I meet do not know that the government are paying for the services that they might receive or may not receive if they're on okay. their waiting list. They think that because X charity is rattling a bucket or holding a fundraiser, that it is that money that is paying oh, okay, for them. Okay. And they don't know... Now, although they have no right to a service, which is a, an issue that we have with, itself, the, with yeah. the Disability Act, you know, it gave uh, certain people a uh, right to an assessment of need, but not a right to have those needs as assessed met in any way. Hilarious. And now we uh, not. Not hilarious. And we stopped yeah. that assessment yeah. of need in the in the late. Uh, oh, so I think it was 2010. I think all. And in fact, there's a challenge. Um, I, KOD Lions have a challenge gone into the High Court on a matter to do with the Disability Act and Assessment Need this week, right. which people might keep an eye yeah. out uh, um, on, you know, um, in weeks to come it's going to be heard in the High Court. Well that you know. sounds Kafkaesque to say you've a right to an assessment of need but then that's it. Yeah. yeah. So you do, you do have a need but we don't have to meet yeah. it for you. And only certain people you know, if you look at the, the health system, you have a long-term illness card, which only covers certain conditions yeah. um, that were given in the 50s, 60s or 70s and will not be added to. So you have intellectual disability, you have some forms of mental health, you have MS, diabetes, cerebral palsy, but a lot of other diseases aren't covered mm. under it. So then you have to look and see whether people can get entitlements onto the medical card, which if people have any income at all may not have entitlement sure. to a medical card um, so we have a very very difficult system in terms of granting people rights to supports and services it is very much on a grace and favour basis or a last uh, chance resort emergency basis and that is where we have parents dying right. and people at home uh, where parents not able to care for them anymore and then it's what will we do with Johnny where is he going to live so, and we have systems such as residential living for people with disabilities, congregated settings, which we are supposed to close, but at the rate of closure at the moment, um, it'll, I think it'll be another 20 or 30 years before right. they will close if we were to go on the rate, or people would have died. Right, okay. okay. And that's where we have people who currently live in settings, but we have all, there's 640,000 people with a disability in Ireland, according to the census. I would say 
I think if you look at it, there's probably 80 to 100,000 who have significant support mm. needs and, you know, in one way or another. And most of them are living at home with family. Yeah. You know, and they um, are assumed to be cared for. Yes. You mentioned that at the SESCA event, and it yeah. really struck home with me yeah. that there's no other group of adults, let's say, where the state expects people to stay at home and be cared for by their elderly parents. Yeah, I know. And we don't have full and accurate records of all of these people. There is a disability database, but that's not up to date. Mm -hmm. I think there are lots of people missing from that. So we don't know how many people. We don't check on these Mm -hmm. people. We have safeguarding systems, and we might bring that in Mm -hmm. on a statutory basis. There's a private members bill and consultation around that. But, you know... We don't, if somebody's found to be at risk or not happy, we've nowhere for them to go and live. Yeah. Unless it's a private nursing home. And, and young people don't need to be in a private nursing home tw- necessarily. There's, there's already 1,200 people in nursing homes who don't need to be there. And because we have closed down other institutions, and I'm not arguing against that closure, I, yeah. I would campaign for those places to be closed, but we have not replaced them with anything else. Really, and what you know? should we replace them with? So if we're closing the congregated care settings, what do we need instead if we need anything? Well, everybody, no matter where you are, should be sat down with and consulted as to what they want to do with their lives at different times, not just when they turn 18. Sure, of course. It's not a, One of the things we see happen is that when people leave school, they are left bereft because at school and under 18, you have an additional set of rights as a child, a right to an education. When you turn 18... That right is gone. I see young people who go to college, maybe get supports in college, and then when college finishes, everything goes. They have no personal assistance, no additional help. If you are not able to go to college, you might get a day centre for a few years um, or a training centre or something like that. But you don't actually have the support you need to go into the community, to be part of the community. Um, we have lo- local authorities that might prevent you from going on the housing list and say you're already adequately housed. That wouldn't be said to an able-bodied mm. person in the same way. Um, so adequately housed, say, with your parents? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Infantilised. So the yeah. state infantilises people. And uh, we don't have a system where we sit with people to say, what do you need to go to work? Uh, if you wish to work, to make you, you, you know, able and willing and, and ready for work. And mm. um, th- everything's on threat of sanction. So it's, oh, we don't want people going on disability lens because they'll end up being on that for the rest of their lives, rather than, well, what's the cost of your disability? Mm. What extra things do you need yeah. to help you to go to work? And um, when you do get a job and you maybe just the, the benefits trap, it's language I don't really like, but there's, you know, there's again, there's no cost of disability issues there, um, that the state will take into account to support people who are in work. And then the issue of social care. We have made assumptions that families will provide for a disabled family member. Our health has improved as disabled people, and with that has brought long, long longevity of life, and which is great. Wonderful, yeah. we're still staying alive, yeah. right? But the system hasn't caught up right, right, okay, yeah. to uh, deal with that. And, you know, there are assumptions made that parents will, will be parenting adults and that adults wish to be parented by parents. Yeah, when they're in their fort, late yeah. 40s or whatever. And so I have met and know people in their in 40s who are still being shared by mum and don't want to be. 
yeah, it's probably quite degrading yeah, to them in a sense. Absolutely, they don't want to be uh, want to have their own house or share with others. Yeah, and and, and again, as much as I would argue against institu- institutional living. There are people with disabilities who want to share with their friends. Yeah. And we need to be flexible yeah. in accommodating all of those issues. Yeah. Um, so it's about collaborating on a kind of, not a care plan necessarily, a life plan, a life I guess. Plan. Yeah. I just think that there should be lifelong assessment because those needs change. Mm-hmm. You need to have the right to change your mind as well. Absolutely. We, everybody else has the right to change their mind about whether they want to be in a relationship or not, whether they want to, where they want to live. Now, I know you need the means to do it, yeah. but I mean, when I'm supporting or know people that, um, friends who want to leave home, you know, they may want to go and try it with living with some other people first and then go yeah. when they've developed skills and confidence to go live on their own or form a relationship with somebody or have a family, you know. They're at the same stage as life that other people sure. have, you know. And we just have this... Um, infantilizing nature or this protectionist nature of people that we don't see that people wish to have lives and, and experience lives. So you know? capacity is key in all of this as well isn't it? Yeah. In, in yeah. some ways. Um, actually I'd love to set it aside and just say actually we shouldn't make assumptions as to whether or want to know what people um, are able to decide or not. Okay. You know, And I'm not saying that we should decide for them either but we should have expectations for everybody. Right that they have lives right. and they're to be lived okay. and need the supports to live them in ways in which uh, you know they will get enjoyment satisfaction yes be safe yeah. but let us not start from protection and risk yeah so you, you'd have a much more humanistic holistic approach obviously to people than our legal system maybe yeah, yeah well, we're, system. like with the 1870 what lunacy act is still in place you know wardship is still very regular occurrence yeah Assisted Decision Making and Capacity Act 2015 is has it? not yet been commenced and probably won't for another while yet. There We're going to ratify the UN Convention without it being fully commenced. Okay. Now, I would have been the in Ireland. We have a thing that we don't ratify conventions until we have all our ducks in a row. But it was getting embarrassing at this stage. Well, Eleven years. years. Yeah. Uh, so the deprivation of liberty section, uh, sections that have not been completed yet, there are people being held against their will um, in non-mental health settings yeah. and mental health yeah, settings. Yeah, nursing res- homes and whatever. Yeah. Residential places and that. Um, there are restrictions being put in place. People have got locked doors, they've got medication or belts or yeah. other mechanical restraints and other things. Chemical and, restraints. Yeah. yeah, they all need legislation for it. Uh, and people need their rights legislating for and the rights not to have those things in place too and maybe the right to have um, supports uh, when their rights are being restricted so advocacy and legal supports love to see that I don't yeah, know how, how, how would you get aid. them in your nursing home you know um, there's a whole issue around access to legal um, resources for people with disabilities when you have no rights yes. but then you have no rights to find out or to get advice on things and either. Might be you might know. housebound, perhaps. Yeah. 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 But is the ratification, even with these restrictions, is it a positive development? Yes, because we'll have probably have signed the optional protocol, which means that people will be able to take cases okay. if they um, are having their rights restricted. To the so, UN itself? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that will be seen. And also, I suppose... It will mean that uh, people will point to the convention and be guided by the convention and the 
the committee's commentary yeah. on all of the various articles which I think people aren't aware of. I, one of the things that has been quite, I've been quite focused on is that there's been an awful lot of jumping up and down about oh, we're going to ratify the convention, it's going to be wonderful. In fact, most people don't know what it actually means. Sure. We had a piece of education done 10 years ago with some people as to what it would mean but there has been nothing done since and I think when people think that they have no rights to anything or are told um, there's a waiting list for X, Y and Z, they don't know what, if the convention is going to change anything or not. I'm not sure how quickly the convention will change people's... Probably not that quickly, no. but we will be held to account yeah. every few years. Yeah, and this, that, that shadowing process is something that I am very interested in. Um, and the monitoring part of it will mean that Ireland will have to report and that uh, NGOs will be given a, a venue to, in, in which to report their experiences and concerns yeah. of the government's actions or inaction in areas. Um, and what we don't have is um, disability organisations or movements that are completely independent of service providers and independent of the state. And it's why myself and a number of colleagues have formed uh, what's called a DPO, Disabled Persons Organisation, um, where we're going to try and bring together both groups of disabled people, and it could be condition-specific, impairment-specific groups, or regional groups as well, and individuals who have an interest. We're hoping to bring them together to... Um, do this shadowing, one of the things would be to comment on directly on policy and look for inclusion in decision-making processes, mm -hmm. but also then to be involved in shadowing the convention and the implementation of it yeah. as it rolls it, out. It find you, uh, as, a, as a, a collective, I think, very powerful. Well, I think, I would like to think that we will be respected and we, some of us that have been involved in this have been around in previous incarnations and know where all the bodies are, so to speak, right. right? Because developing a social movement in whatever the area is can be quite difficult. And if you have trauma, you have rights restrictions, um, you have lack of access, other things all there, it makes it even more difficult, mm. you know? And you have people who just want to campaign so they can get their own personal situation sorted. Yes. And maybe don't have the opportunity or don't want to see a bigger mm. picture you know and um, so they you grab on what you can get yourself yes. and then you go right I'm not going to speak up for anybody else thanks very much and then you have people who are angry and don't know what to do with that anger yeah. you know and so we have lots of people and then we have groups that are quite focused on looking after their condition their condition alone and we don't want to in what we've called disabled people of Ireland we're not looking to take over the work of any other organisation. We're not lo looking to duplicate stuff. We want people to go off and do what they need to do for their particular needs yeah. as organisations. But we're trying to bring together to work people to work on the biggest issues and also to keep pointing the common out... threads kind of thing. And to point out that you cannot have discussions about us without us at the table, yeah, I, without yeah. us leading the discussions... You can't turn around and say, well, if we have X organisation there of able-bodied professionals, that they will know what to do. Or, you know, and that they, I'm not saying they don't they, have a they role. They haven't lived it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and parents and carers and families have a different perspective in this. Absolutely. Um, yes, they are concerned and worried for their family member. 
but that concern is different from that of the family member with a disability and what their expectations, needs and wants might be. And they have their own place because carers' organisations are resourced. Of course, it's not perfect, but they have got staff, organisations, forums, places and committees. Yeah, they're quite visible. And you hear about them on the radio and TV. Absolutely, yeah. And whereas disabled people uh, in the media are depicted tragically Mm. um, as being in need or want of something, only around the role as a disabled person. Right, yeah. Very often, not about... So a fragment of a human being almost, yeah. not the rest yeah. of us. Or they're uh, depicted as being inspirational. Right, yeah. Which yeah. we call inspiration porn. <laughs> oh, God, And, okay. you know, we try and educate the media, those of us, you know, and stop doing it, please. And, you know, but it are, the, the patting people on the head, yeah. you know. Um, the Paralympics has a role in this. You mm-hmm. know, I love sport. I love yeah. the Paralympics, but... There is an issue where people think that every disabled person should be out there running or doing yeah. something, you know. It's a bit or, patronising you, yeah, right? Yeah. yeah. And as some of the Paralympians would say, their disability still remains. Yeah. Society disables them. Yeah. They go and do sport and whatever because they enjoy it, but it also is a place where they're not feeling very disabled. Mm. Whereas when they go back into society, we've seen Paralympians lose their rights and entitlements to, you know, allowances, adaptations, etc., and they've got involved in sport in order to get adaptations okay. that they need. So that indicates yeah. the difficulty that's there, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But so with this um, Disabled Persons of Ireland um, group, I suppose a lot of the goal is to claim your space, mm-hmm. like we were talking before, and to take your power back to a yeah. degree. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And so that people can... Um, it's also about developing a process and a conversation. Okay. Um, in, in order for disabled people who can be quite segmented to actually sit down and hear each other and connect yeah um, and one of the things that we were talking about at a recent meeting was in how we communicate with each other and the, that there is an automatic assumption maybe that you're going to be writing policy papers and uh, maybe we'll do an easy read version then so it's accessible whereas turn the conversation everything done easy read first mm. if it needs to be developed further and more specifically great idea you know but we will do easy read first so that we can communicate to everybody whatever the issues are very simply and what's great about that is politicians love that approach to the two pager exactly exactly <laughs> let us not you know say what the demands are if you want to, pro- to point to laws or research or footnotes or whatever yeah. and we'll do that later but you know, very clearly say why we want something to change and what needs to be done. To Boil do, it do, down do. to yeah. the brass basics, yeah. right? And that'll that'll make life a lot easier, I think, uh, for everybody involved, and maybe change the way in which other people communicate. Also, you know, yeah. because if I, for a living, read laws, policies, documents all the time, it's impossible mm. to get through stuff, and it should be accessible for everybody. So we're going to try and work on that last question uh, Susie would you have any interest in running for politics yourself given your interest in, in as a student of them and you're crunching the numbers uh, no I have been asked it continually I'd say uh, so no and uh, why not I'm not interested in constituency politics okay. or, or operating as constituency politician. It's the bigger picture. Yeah, very much I, I, I'm quite happy in terms of civil society or different initiatives and engaging with the policy process yeah yeah definitely interested in all of that 
um, and will, as long as I'm able, continue to do that element of things. But no, I won't be running for election. <laughs> the knocking on the soon. doors, no, no, the pamphlets, okay. No, and it, it would amuse lots of people who keep saying it and whatever. But no, I have no, I, I, I have the right as a citizen to comment yes. and to want things to change. But you know, and I don't have to run for office yeah. in order to achieve that you know to get things changed there are other ways of doing it that's so. true Susie thank okay. you so much for your time and best no of luck with all your initiatives okay. thank you